0: Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zeeland Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zeeland, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal himself to us in his word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen, good morning everybody. Great to be with you this morning as we study together. Uh, Before we uh, open to Ephesians chapter 4, I, you can begin turning there if you want. There's three things I want to bring to mention and just bring to prayer um, for this morning as well. Um, the f- the first two are, are ways that we can rejoice with those who rejoice. The last one is one that we can pray and we can weep with those who weep. So we're going to start with the rejoicing here. Um, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> it was about two weeks ago, I got a text message from one of our missionary partners. His name is Dale Stewart. He lives out in Montana with his family. And um, he sent me a text on that day and he said... Uh, Uh, Oh, man, I just lost it. Uh, He sent me a text that day, and he said, Jeremy, I wanted to let you know, some of you may know this already, uh, but for those of you who don't, that we just got done with court, and it's official. We've adopted a new son, Kenny Dale Stewart, whom they've been fostering for some time. And I said, how exciting. I said, can I share that? Can I show a picture? And he said, absolutely. And he said, yes, you can share. Thank everyone for praying. And don't stop now, because now we have a four-year-old. So the... the (laughs) The next stage of the steward life continues, and that is something to rejoice. And so we bless God for that. Amen? Amen. So that, that was something big that happened within the life of the greater family at first in the past couple weeks. There's another thing that happened within the greater life of the family at first. I'm not sure where she went. Should I show the, should I show the photo? I'll show the photo, all right. Um, so this is my friend, Mariana. Mariana sits right down here uh, and she's not in the building or she's not in the room right now. She's come back in, awesome. We'll get her to come up here. So something big happened in Mariana's life over the last uh, week and, and it's been a several year process. Hey, Mariana, would you come up here with me for just a minute? Awesome. This is my friend Mariana. We're so blessed. She's in our small group, actually. And we've been able to walk with this journey with Mariana and with her family for some time. And this last week, so Mariana was born, you were born in Bolivia. And this last week, she became a U.S. citizen. And that was... which is so super exciting because it's been a several year journey and um, Ken and Jackie, your parents are just awesome, awesome people, but we're so grateful um, to be able to celebrate with you this amazing milestone. Yep. So we love you. Good. Good there you yeah. <laughs> how cool, how cool is that? Uh, so two really big things to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, now we also get to weep with those who weep, um, and so many of you probably have, have uh, followed some news for the last day and see some, uh, seen some of the various reports coming out of the various terror attacks going on in Israel. And so I want to just um, Psalm one twenty two. It's one of the Psalms of sense says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and even just as I heard that what what all is going on and following a lot of the the horror that's going on there over in. Um, in the Holy Land. Uh, My my heart goes out to the Jewish people, my heart goes out to the Palestinians, my heart goes out to the Arabs, all these people who are stuck in the middle of a lot of evil. And so I I ask that we would take a moment right now just to pray and to to mourn and to weep and ask for God's peace to be present in and amidst the people uh, in Israel and the surrounding area. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, there is so much that we have to be thankful for. We thank, we're thankful, God, for Kenny's adoption, and I know what a long process that has been for the Stuarts these last years, and God, give them strength as they now parent a four-year-old. Uh, while they're parenting pros, God, give them energy beyond what they can even imagine. Give them passion and, and help them to pursue instilling the life of Christ into Kenny. We pray that he would come to know you at a young age and that he would serve you passionately. Um, God, we thank you for Mariana. We thank you for the great joy of her becoming a U.S. citizen just this past week and, and having such a, a long process finally brought to completion and that bringing a sense of, of closure to uh, the Spauldings. And we just are so, so thankful, God, for your grace and, and for how many different ways you have met them in this journey. God, we bless you. And now, God, our hearts turn to those um, being affected by by the various actions of war and terror uh, over in Israel and in in the various regions in southern Lebanon, surely affecting other areas in that region. And God, we pray for your peace. God, we pray that the message of Christ would go out, that that, uh, Jewish people and Palestinians and Arabs would come to the one who can truly be their peace. They would come to to the Messiah, Jesus, in faith. And God, we pray that righteousness and justice would prevail. We pray that truth would be made clear. We pray that as a people of God, we would seek the peace of Jerusalem. We'd seek the the ultimate peace, uh, relationship with you. And so God, burden our hearts even this week. um, Cause us to be prayerful for um, all these things. Uh, God, we we want to practice as a community what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And, And surely, God, there is more rejoicing we could do from the people in this room. And surely, God, there's also more weeping we can do with the people in this room, with the things that we experience in our everyday lives. And so, Lord, reveal to us how we can best love one another as you have loved us. Give us strength in our inner man to know who we are in Christ and to walk in the fullness of that truth. Lord, um, teach us what it means to to, to know that we're loved beyond a shadow of a doubt and, and to know that we can walk in the love that Christ has given us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Together we say, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back. There's also uh, Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, it's going to be page 1037 this morning. 1037. We've been in uh, the midst of a series talking about different facets of the church. And week by week, there's more. Like I, I come back into my study on Monday and I go, there's so much more that could be said. Uh, but we're taking different snippets, different glances of, of how the church is described within the New Testament. The role of the church we talked about back, back in Matthew is is to be God's witnesses for the kingdom here on earth like like to, to be God's image bearers to 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 be God's um, representatives so that when people see us, they see and they experience the amazing gift of grace. Um, Jesus says uh, in, in the beginning of the gospel, not the gospel, but the book of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses, he tells his disciples, the church. He says, you'll be my witnesses to take my message through Judea, Sumeria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So, so we have an, a, an important and a and a intentional, purposeful calling from God to be people who make disciples and who are witnesses for Christ in the world. And so we looked at that. Uh, we've looked at a couple of other things. What, what does it mean to have the whole gospel applied to our life? We, we looked, uh, began looking in the book of Ephesians And what we studied last week in particular was two prayers that Paul has for the church. Uh, The first one was to be strengthened with power in the inner man through the Holy Spirit that the Messiah might dwell in our hearts through faith. And we also studied the prayer that we would be able to know The knowledge of God which leads to fullness of God. This is what he says in um, Ephesians 3, verse 19, that we would know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Fullness is God's intention. God, God wants the church, he wants his people to walk in the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. And the question is, is what does fullness look like? Um, another word that you could maybe use to describe fullness is the word maturity. Um, earlier this week, as I was putting together all my slides, I defined maturity as this way. Maturity is being who God wants me to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way I define maturity. I was listening to a, a pastor I enjoyed listening to yesterday, and, and he said it this way, and I, I really liked it, so I'll add this to it. Uh, maturity is <clears throat> the overflow of intimacy with God. In, in other words, one way to mark our maturity in our Christian walk is to say, Where is my intimacy with God at today? Because The Christian life is meant to be an overflow of what we experience every day with God and every day with one another. We're in a series on the church, and for the church to be mature, for the church to grow up into every way in Christ, it means that each one of us has an intentional pursuit of the God who has loved us, saved us, and redeemed us. Uh, the, the God who comes to take habitation within us, who dwells in us. We looked at that word a couple of weeks ago where, where the Apostle Paul uses the word for the holy of holies to describe the church. You are the naos of God, he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and following. And so wh- what's our purpose? Like, like, why are we here? Well, m- maturity is one of the ways that we could describe that, and, and this comes in verse 13, and we'll read the whole passage in just a minute, but verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith, this is of chapter four in the book of Ephesians, and, and, um, and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So, so the goal is maturity. It, and it's this idea of we're growing towards maturity because we will never grow fully into maturity until the day that we see him face to face. So, maturity is our goal, and it's being who God wants us to be. It's this intimate walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we also have this practice of ministry, because we're going to be called to ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at this today. And ministry is this. Ministry is the process of serving people, or loving people, or being a minister of of, and to people in the power of the Holy Spirit so we're going to look at what that looks like within the church as we study the Ecclesia today. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, though. I'd like to read the first 16 verses, if we could, together. And I invite you to stand with me in body or in spirit for the reading of God's word. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us. According to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to his people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body, for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Pray with me, please. Father, I pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would teach us through your word today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. We thank you for the truth of God and the words of God that help give us wisdom and direction in the midst of a dark and broken world. We pray this in the name of the one who is above all and in all and fills all things in every way, the one who is worthy of all of our heart's devotion and worship, our Messiah Jesus, amen. Please be seated. So Paul starts off talking about this this aspect of growing into maturity in ministry, and and he begins these first couple things, I mean, notice what he says first. He says, therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord... You know, he's literally a prisoner when he writes this. He's not just hyperbolically saying that. This is one of Paul's prison letters. He's writing this from prisoner, but he's saying, I'm a prisoner and I'm here because of the Lord. And I'm here because of what I've stood for because of the Lord. He says, therefore, i prisoner for the Lord. As he's writing from jail, he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. For three chapters, Paul has spent a lot of time trying to build up a proper identity of who these believers are. He, he said that, that, they're, um, that they're loved. He has said that they're saints. He said that God has made them alive. He said that they are one in the Messiah, both Jew and Gentile, brought underneath uh, the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus. And he says to them, I want to urge you. In, in other words, I want you to do it now. He says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. The the, the calling to be who God desires them to be in their communities. The the, the calling to be the body of Messiah who, who is motivated by love and is motivated by service and is motivated for the glory of God because they've been remarkably and miraculously taken from death to life. And he says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling. I, I want the actual practical outworkings of all your life, how you think, how you speak, how you interact with one another, how you interact with the world. I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy, a, a manner that is suitable, a, a manner that, that makes sense, given who you are now in the Messiah Jesus, And he gives five different um, characteristics or or, or maybe we could call them five different attitudes of what it means to walk in Messiah. What it means to have the Christ life living through you. These are ways that Christians are are, are called to walk. He says this in verse two. um, To walk worthy of the calling means that you walk with all humility. The first one here is humility. In Greek, it's the word tepeno for sune. You don't need to know that, it's not on any test, it's just kind of a fun word to say. The idea of humility means to be conscious of your own unworthiness. Right? It, it, it means that you know who you are and you know who God is. Because humility is always, it's always measured by Christ. It's not measured by my neighbor or my sister or my friend. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, I, I'm just, th- I'm better than them, you know, it, it, it's, it, or I'm worse than them. It, it's looking at your life measured against the Messiah Jesus. And it's this idea of you know that without him, you're unworthy. And it's this idea of not thinking less about yourself because that's the other side. Sometimes we, we take the uh, extra super humble um, perspective and we begin to think less about ourselves. No, humility is not thinking less about yourself, it's thinking rightly about ourselves. It, it's having a measured perspective on who we are, who God is, and what that means. Now, um, for, for us today, it, the interesting thing is that this was not a um, this was not a virtue, or this was not a quality that was um, upheld by the ancient citizen um, in, in Rome at that time. Uh, humility was not something that you'd go, "Oh, they're so humble." They'd be like, why are you so humble? What, what, what the actual ancient Roman people um, valued more than humility what, was they valued having a great heartedness of thinking like, this is who I am. This is, did you see what I did? Did you see what I can do? No, the, the call for the believer is a very different walk. It's a call to humility. And when you think of humility, think of what Paul says in Philippians chapter two. He says, have this same mind in you. When you look at Christ Jesus, he says, who did not consider himself um, to be equal to God, but, but, but he came down and, and he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He, he stepped down. The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, stepped down. When you think of humility and you think of what that means for the believer, it means that we, we, this is who you are in Christ, and the way that you're called, the way that I'm called then to walk in humility is to say, this is my status, but here, how can I serve? Because it's not about me, it's about God. And it's about how do I serve God within a culture where everybody's clamoring for the top of the ladder. Humility is the absolute antithesis of, of pride. It, 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 it knocks down self and it picks up a towel and it picks up a base and it says, how can I love you today? Humility, one of these descriptors of the Christ life. One of these practices of the Christ life, or these attitudes of the Christ life. Another attitude that's listed here is with all humility and gentleness. Prautes in Greek, gentleness. Uh, it can be defined as humility. It can. It's similar to that word, but it carries this idea of being God-controlled in all actions. One writer put it this way. He Aristotle said. It's the mean or the average between being too angry and never being angry at all. Another writer said that a person who is gentle is the one who has every instinct, every passion, every motion of his mind and heart and tongue and desire under perfect control. Think about that, under perfect control. The only way to have that is to be God-controlled in all actions. This is a fruit of walking with God. This is, a, this is a practice of a person walking in the Spirit. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness knows when and how to stand for truth and how to stand for people rightly. It, it knows how to be angry at the right things at the right time and how to not be angry at the wrong things at the right time at the wrong time. I think I said that right. It's this idea of being God-controlled in all our actions. The next one that's listed here, so we've got humility, gentleness, with patience. Makrothumia is the Greek word. And it it refers to the spirit of a person that bears difficulty and insult without bitterness or complaint. Right? That this person is able to withstand Underneath the pressure of people who might push against them or who might come after them and not have bitterness or complaint. Um, The church father Chrysostom said about this word, he said, it is the spirit which has the power to take revenge but never does. I like that. Uh, One writer says it's the state of being able to bear up under provocation. The next word is one that we looked at last week, quite in depth, so we'll do this one quickly. He says, accepting one another in love. The word here for love is the same word last week, it's the word agape, and and it's the love that seeks the highest good of another person without expecting anything in return. It's the love that says, how do I operate on someone else's behalf and for their good? By the way, love is not always easy. In fact, many times it's not. And and sometimes seeking another person's good is not something that always feels good. Like like if you're a parent and you need to um, help your child understand something, it means that you might have to come to them in love and you might have to give some corrective words. Or you might have a friend that has hurt you and the way that you need to love that friend is you need to love them with speaking words truth. Now, now the, the spirit-filled person who loves does not do it in order to get right or to get even or, or anything like that. They do it because they desire God to bring redemption to that relationship, to that actual walking out. But love is a, is a hard thing because it often calls us to a whole nother realm of selflessness, Right. Uh, the, the last characteristic, or the attitude of a person uh, who is walking in the Spirit here, that's listed in the first couple of verses, is this word for peace. The word here for peace is the word Erine. and he actually says it this way in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, he says, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. So, So, He's pulling in here that peace actually becomes a byproduct of being unified by the Spirit. This idea of arene means to have a right relationship between man and man, or woman and woman, or man and woman, however that is. Uh, Right relationship between two people based upon a relationship that's right between God and man. So when you think of peace, it's not the absence of conflict. It's actually having harmony, or having shalom, is the Hebrew word, uh, which means wholeness, within personal relationships because you've experienced that in your relationship with God? Um, How are these virtues possible within a community of diverse people? right? That's who Paul's writing to. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles who have been saved and redeemed by Christ, and they've been brought together into one family, and so they have different backgrounds, they have different experiences, and he's saying, here's what the content of your walk should look like. It should be characterized by these important things, and there's only one way to experience this kind of harmony, and we see this in verse 3, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit, With the bond of peace. There there has to be an intentional move within the people of God to die to self and to ask God, Lord, what would you have us do here? How could we glorify you within this midst? How how could we glorify you within our families where there's fracture? How How could we glorify you in our friend relationships where there is discord? How how can we glorify you within a church family where we all come from different walks of life? We all have different pasts. Some of us even grew up in Ohio, and you still love me. Thank you so much, you know. We're still undefeated, by the way. Just kidding. Well, not kidding. We are. Um, (laughs) All that said, the only way to pursue these kinds of things within a diverse community is to die to self and to allow Christ to live through us. The amazing thing is, is that he, he essentially promises them unity. He says, you have unity. And that's what he does in these next couple of verses. And I'm gonna go through these really quickly, but, but he gives them the basis for their unity in the next couple of verses. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called, the one hope at you're calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is above all and through all and in all. In other words, he's saying the basis church of your unity is the Messiah. The basis of your unity is the God who has stepped down into humanity and he's made the two that were once separate and he has made them one. The unity of the church is a reality. But I love what one person said. They said that while the unity of the church is a reality, it is something that must be intentionally pursued to maintain it. Our unity is founded in the Messiah. Our unity is not found, in fact, be careful, I would say, if you ever try to find unity through your favorite sports team, or through um, the, the state in which you grew up, or through your favorite kind of food, or through your racial background, or through um, whatever else it is. Those things can bring a measure of unity, but real unity for the people of God is always found in Messiah. That's why Jesus can say, and Paul can say, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he can say, you have unity. And it's one Lord and it's one faith and it's one baptism and it's one hope because our unity as the body of Messiah both here and throughout the world comes not because of our backgrounds. It probably comes in spite of our backgrounds sometimes because our backgrounds bring a whole lot of baggage sometimes. And, and I'm not saying that our backgrounds are, are unimportant because God has made each one of us different. One of the amazing experiences in my life, I've told you this before, was traveling overseas to North Africa a few years ago and, and finding such unity and a harmony within a group of believers who literally came from probably 15 to 20 different nations and countries, different languages, different ethnic backgrounds. They were all there for the same reason. They wanted to love the Lord and they wanted to serve their community in his name. And it was like, this is awesome. It has its challenges. But the diversity is amazing. But in the midst of that diversity, God has made a unity. He has he, made one out of those who were many. And, and He's saying here, keep at it, diligently pursue the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Because unity doesn't get maintained, it's not maintained by setting it on a back burner. It's maintained by saying, here's what matters most. Here's what God has done to reconcile you and I and to bring us into a family. So, he goes through these next couple verses, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, and and he says in verse 7, Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. If you go to Psalm 68, you don't need to go there now, you'll find out that he's quoting from Psalm 68. I think it's verse 18. Um, and there it says in the Hebrew, it says that 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 the the God who is above all, the God who is sovereign, the God who is exalted and Lord, that he received gifts from people. Uh, here, Paul is taking that and he's twisting that and he's saying, here The the Messiah gives gifts to people. And you might ask, "Well, why is the Messiah giving gifts to people? He goes into this um, next couple of verses talking about what Jesus did to come down to heaven and earth in order to, to redeem and to fill all things. And then we see that he gives gifts for a reason in verse 11. It says, that, and he personally gave, this is the work of the Messiah on our behalf, he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, when we look at those different kinds of groups there, we find that they're very important to the beginning of the church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, and, and He is the stone from which everything else is set. And then the uh, that the apostles and the prophets are built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone. Um, so He mentions a couple of very important offices, especially for the early church. Here, the the apostles were people who had. Um, who were used to help establish the foundation of the church in the New Testament time. They they were authoritative throughout the church in their work. Um, In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says of apostles that he, he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not a witness to the Messiah Jesus? Am I not a witness to his resurrection? So there seems to be one of the qualifications of an apostle, someone who has seen the Lord and someone who has seen the resurrection. And the reason for that is because the apostles become very important, not just for the church in Jerusalem, but for the church throughout the whole first century there to establish some some foundations upon which it would be laid. Foundations, like like a lot of the apostles are actually Bible writers, Like, like God is using them through the power of the Holy Spirit to give his word to his people. So you have the Apostle Paul who writes a significant portion of the Scriptures. You have the Apostle Peter who plays a very important role in the early church and writes also some Scriptures. You have Luke who probably wrote Luke and Acts also an Apostle. They they play important roles there. You also have prophets and there's a couple of prophets mentioned in the New Testament. One one is Agabus. Um, But we have prophets that are mentioned throughout the whole of of Scripture here. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah. uh, People like Ezekiel and Daniel, and the role of a prophet would be to speak on behalf of God. Uh, So sometimes they would foretell, like Daniel actually foretells certain things that would come in the future. Sometimes they would foretell. They would say, here is what God says. And they would say that to a, a group of people, namely the nation of Israel, when they were walking in a different path than what God intended. So God uses the apostles and he uses the prophets built upon the foundation of Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, to give authoritative teaching and direction and instruction for the local church. We find another person, or not another person, but another function or gift that's mentioned here, and it's the gift of an evangelist. We, We see Philip the evangelist, for example, in the New Testament. The word evangelist there seems to imply someone who has a particular gifting and ability from the Lord to speak and to share the message of Christ, especially to those who have not heard. Now, we all have the, uh, the opportunity and the calling to be evangelists. Like, we, we are to be people who make disciples um, of all nations. That's part of the Matthew 28, 19, and 20 commission that Jesus has given to his church. Um, but Outside of that, or maybe not separate from, but maybe in addition to that, you have a group of people who are specially gifted in this work of evangelism. I've had the incredible opportunity to travel with some people over the course of ministry, and I've seen some of these people whose passion and heart burn for the Lord and and whose ability to communicate the truth of the gospel to people who have not heard is very, very strong. When I was uh, studying at Cedarville University, I went on a trip over to Greece. And the person that we went with, he was native Greek, but he was a a pastor in, in New York. And as we went over there, it was just amazing to watch this guy. His name was Tom. And it was amazing to watch him share the gospel with the Greek people. A pretty secular society, even though it's rich in biblical history, he would share the gospel with great passion, with great persuasion in a way that was very compelling for the audience that he was seeking to minister to. So we have apostles, we have prophets, we have evangelists. We come now to um, Two words to describe what I believe is one office. The reason I say that is because they're they're um, they're introduced by the same direct um, uh, di- direct article. Uh, they, they basically it, it reads this way: He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Uh, the word pastor here is the Greek word that means shepherd. Right? It's, it's the Greek word that means shepherd. The word teacher here uh, is, is a word that means teacher. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one who instructs. Um, whereas the first three have ministry that is broad within the local church, especially at its inception. Um, this last one is the one that is particularly geared to have intentional ministry within a local body of believers. I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. There's many times, like I think 115 times, that the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, and it's something like a 90, 90 of those times, um, it is referring specifically to a local church, not not the church at large, but the church at Philippi, or the church at Thessaloniki, or the the church at Athens, Um, and and this would be the function of a man who would step into a ministry, or a group of men that would step into a ministry to shepherd, and you think shepherd, think of um, guard and protect was one of the roles of shepherds in ancient times, Um, to feed and to care for would be another one, and and then tied to this is the idea of teacher, And, and you might even think about it this way. The idea of shepherd has a very relational component to it. Uh, shepherd are people, shepherds are people who get down and dirty with the sheep. They, they, they're people who you get a sheep that's stuck in a, in a rock or whatever like that. You're going to go and you're going to free them. You're going to pick them up. Teaching, though, is also like a a nice balance to this function, whereas the shepherd is highly relational and engaged in protection, the the teacher role of this comes in, and through the teaching, they provide instruction for then how people are to walk in accordance with what God has said. Um, So this role, it says that, He gave some, the Lord gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Why does he give these people within the local church? Verse 12, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the the reason, the, the reason or the function of a shepherd is to equip the saints to be usable in ministry in order to build up the kingdom. What does this mean? It means that one of the roles as a pastor that I have is to help equip you to be engaged in ministry to build up the body of Messiah. That's one of the primary roles. And one of the primary roles happens through relationship, but it also happens through right instruction. Um, This idea of equipping the saints to be usable, this idea of usable uh, carries with it, your your text might say train people for the work of ministry. The idea of train here means to put something back into a condition for which it was purposed. This is almost like a restorative type ministry. Um, It's one who helps people see that's 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 that that's that's a lie don't believe that lie here's the truth so that you can walk in the truth and is engaged with teaching i think one of the reasons why these are, are tied together is because the way to best equip someone The way to best help people to be strong is to help them know who they are in Christ, to help them understand and to to begin to live in the power of God's Spirit, and and to help them begin to see the lies and the choices that they make that that are not in keeping with what God desires for them. Like, um, he says it this way in the text. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, this is verse 13, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, he says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. So even at the point in which Paul is writing this, he recognizes that there's a whole lot of deceptive things that are coming into the church. And one of the functions of a pastor-teacher is to walk with people and to exercise the gift God has given them in such a way that when they see winds of teaching that are not true that are in error, that, that are techniques of deceit by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, that, that one of the functions of the pastor would be to help speak the truth in love that they might be rightly trained up in ministry. I, I, this is one of those things that is um, an incredible privilege and it's also incredibly humbling because even as I look at that job description for a pastor, I go, you want me to do that, God? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've ever thought like, God, you want me to, to, to step into that? Again, The only way we can step in to the gifts that God has given to us to minister is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through yieldedness to Christ that any fruit of lasting value endures. The pastor's job here, to equip the saints to be usable, to to have everything rightly set to build up the kingdom of God. What that also means, this is jumping back to um, verse 12, is that the work of ministry is something not just for clergy, it's something for us all. It's something for us all. In fact, to equip people for the work of ministry, we are all called to be involved in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ this is a this is a photo of, of a boxer at rest and I showed this to you because Paul uses the building metaphor and we've talked about that but he uses a second metaphor here and it's the metaphor of the body the the ancient Greeks the ancient Romans they, they had statues everywhere of of different Um, people of different bodies, uh, including this bronze statue. Uh, And so they're very aware of what a body is. I imagine we are too. But when we think about the body, sometimes we don't make that tie to the church. Sometimes the way that we practically live as Christians, we say, I'm a follower of Christ, and now I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to do my own thing. What Paul is calling the people to is he says, I want you to be involved in the body life. I I I want you to be involved because whereas one person has this gift, another person has this gift, and God purposes all of these gifts to build up the body so that they may express and live out the fullness of God in every way within the context of where they live and they work and they play. So, when we separate ourselves from the life of the community, we're actually robbing the community of something that it desperately needs to grow up into the fullness of Messiah. It's kind of convicting for myself, right? (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of reasons why we might separate ourselves from the body, um, and, th- and there's a whole lot of reasons why you may be attached to the body. And, and the right reason to be attached to the body is number one, because God has made all believers a part of one body. The second reason why it's really important is because it's within that body life context that God is glorified and that the world sees there is something different about those people. It's a whole lot easier to get along in harmony when it's just me, myself, and I. (laughs) Like, I can pursue what I want when I'm off doing my own thing, but when I bring my life into the community of people, it means God is asking something from me. And it begins with those qualities of humility and gentleness and patience because where those are lived out is is within the context of people. Because that's where those are tested, right? It's one thing for me or for you to be like, yeah, I've I've got this all together. I can go do my own thing. And then I reach a point and I'm like, well, that's all there is to that. (laughs) And God reminds us here, you're part of a body. In fact, notice what he says. In verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love. Uh, Truth is supposed to be central within the people of God, not for the purpose of saying I was right, not at all, but for the purpose of saying this is how we walk best after the Lord. This is how we walk with him in the light of his word. This is how we grow up and and we, we express what he wants to express through us to the world. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him this is all plural language. Let us grow in every way into him. You can't separate the body from the head. The source and the power, the vitality of all life comes from the Messiah, but it involves the entire body. From him, verse 16, from him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body. Why? For building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I went and found, with some help, a photo of ligaments earlier this week. Have you ever torn a ligament? Anybody? A couple people have torn ligaments. When you tear a ligament, it hurts. It affects everything. Like I, I've gotten things out of whack before in my body, it's amazing how a, a a pain in your tooth you can feel down to your toes sometimes, or, or how if you have a shoulder that's out of whack, you just everything else is affected. When you When you read Paul here and you look at the ligaments that are going on, they're, they're all these small parts that tie things together. Every person matters within the body of Messiah. Every person has a gift given by God for you to exercise within the body of Messiah. And if we cease to pursue, God, what do you have for us now? God, how would you have me to walk and to step into this? What will end up happening is that the things that hold the body together will become weak, will become frail. God cares about the whole of his body the church, and he wants the church to step into this intentionally through the idea of Christ being the head and to speak truth and love, to grow into Christ and to be the people of God. I am so, so thankful for people within this local community. I've got names in my head. I won't share all the names, but there's people in this room who God has given you an incredible gift of encouragement. God has given you the incredible way of saying, hey, keep going, what you're doing matters. There's people within this room, within this church, whom God has given an incredible gift of teaching. Some of you, he's given the ability to teach the young, young ones. Bless you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I, one of my kids came home from from Sunday recently, and they said, "Oh, that was so awesome!" I was like, mm, "I love it! I love it that that God is using a group of people to minister to one of my kids in an incredible way." Um, God has within this um, this church family people who have. Uh, The ability to know everything that is going on with people's lives. Like sometimes I'll have conversations with people and they'll say, hey, have you heard about how this person is doing? And I was like, I haven't heard the latest. And they're like, well, I heard yesterday that. And they have the incredible ability and a gift from God to connect with people, to tell them that they matter, and to say, how can we help you? How can we serve you? How can we love you? I just love it. We need those gifts within the body. We've got people here who have an incredible gift of writing cards or um, preparing food. We've got people who are great counselors and and listen to people well and instruct them well. We have people within this church who have an incredible gift of listening or the incredible gift of helps. a lot of the, the stuff that's going on in the, in the uh, foyer area out here was done by people who have an incredible gift of helps and some really good painting this last week. Um, I'm so thankful. We've got people in our church who have an incredible gift of prayer. Um, there's, there's people I hear from that I hear about at various times, and, and they're praying intentionally for you, purposely for you, regularly for the body. I just I'm 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 blown away because that's what the body looks like when it's all working together well. When when every person steps into their part, steps into their gift given by God and they exercise that gift in growing measure. One of the things that one of the things that I believe God is calling our church to be more intentional with, is how do we better make disciples that make disciples? Um, One of the gifts given in some of the passages that speak about leadership is, is, or uh, the the passages that speak about spiritual gifts, one of the gifts is leadership in there. One of the things our elders have been wrestling with and, and are making some moves to, to be very intentional with is to, to begin a process of strategic envisioning. and In other words, to, to begin a process by which we paint a clearer picture for our church community what God would have us be and do to make disciples of all nations. and And so... Um, over the past several months, our elder team has been praying and talking about this because we want to sharpen our focus in our mission to know Christ and to make disciples. So so one of the things that we are doing as leadership this fall, this is where part of our gift is exercised, is is to seek to sharpen our focus in how we as a church fulfill the Great Commission. And so one of the things that we're actually going to be doing over the course of the next couple months here is recruiting of a team of leaders from within our church to work together um, to, um, to paint a clear and vivid picture of ministry for us going forward. We're going to be doing some very intentional work beginning in January, February, and March with this team. Uh, we're actually going to be using uh, in partnering with a ministry called the Malfors Group to help us with this process. Um, but one of the things I'm super excited about for the future of our church is to see how God takes all of us and how He raises up from within this church body, people to minister on behalf of the gospel to one another and to our community and to our world. We believe God wants so much more from us. And we want to sharpen that focus. Um, so one of the ways you could pray for us as we enter into this week with our elder meeting is you can be praying that God would give us unity and focus and clarity on selecting this team of people who help give us this, um, who will help work together with this process, but that you'd also pray for our church because I believe God is, God is preparing our hearts for the next phase of ministry to our world. But we're all in this together because we're all a part of Christ's body, the church. And we together are the expression of the one who fills all things in every way. As we close, I wanna ask you two questions. First one is this, are you connected to the body? Are you active in the body? If you're not, um, what I encourage you to do is ask God, God, how would you have me partner in ministry within this local church? Be open for whatever God says. Sometimes throughout the course of time, our, our roles change. It, there was once a time in which I said, I will never be a speaker. <laughs> You're like, please bring it to an end. You speak too much. Um, God, God reorients our gifts Sometimes. Ask God, God, where would you have me to be a part in this local community for your glory and for the building up of the saints? Secondly, I'd like to ask you, we talked about five different attitudes at the beginning. As you go back this week and you you read about those attitudes again, those attitudes that stem and come from the Christ life, Christ living in and through you. Ask God to challenge your heart where your heart is at with those attitudes. God, where, where am I at with regard to humility and gentleness, patience, loving one another and accepting them in love, bearing with people in love, and, and with this walk of peace. Think on those things this week. Ask God to teach you and lead and guide you. Pray with me, please, as we close. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of your son to this world. And God, I thank you that we can stand and we can sit in your presence and that we can be reminded of the goodness and the hope that Jesus brings to our lives today. We bless you, Lord God. It's because of you that we are here. It's because of you that we live and we move and we have power and strength for the world in which we live. And God, we, we ask that you would lead and guide us by your spirit. That the fullness of Christ might be seen in and through us in every way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.